being looked at as, oh, you're the black writer that's going to write about the black experiences irritates me because one, I shouldn't be the only one in the room. And two, I can write anything and everything. Like I said, what's interesting is that I'm sure a white male writer would say the same thing and would say, oh, I can write about race in America too. Um, but I promise you, we will be writing different things. Hello and welcome to the Open Up Podcast. I'm Elliot Knight, your host, and I am so glad that you are here showing up and joining us again for another conversation. This truly is what will help move us forward with the issues that we talk about on the show for diverse artists in the entertainment industry. So it means everything that you're here to listen and hopefully learn with us once again. I want to just take a minute to point out that the conversations we're having on this show are already having huge ripples on the biggest media outlets in entertainment. So please know that just in being here, just in listening, the impact of our guests using their voices to talk about what they do and the impact of you listening and being here to hear what those voices have to say. It is real. It is alive. It's happening right now. And it is the spirit that the Open Up runs on. So thank you for being a part of this growing family for positive change. If we keep up like this, we're going to make great progress. So thank you. We are about to dive deeper into TV and specifically writing, both for and as an underrepresented minority. Every TV show, every film that you have ever watched, that you've ever seen, that you loved, that you didn't love, whatever it was, it all starts here with a script. So that gives you a clue as to why it's so important for us to talk about here on the show. Here's the idea of our guest on episode three. I identify as a Ghanaian American, unfortunately straight woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> we will accept you anyway. Straight for many reasons, <laughs> um, and and also African American, also black. So it's between those three. Cynthia Adakwa is a relatively new writer for TV who has written for shows like Legacies on The CW and Hulu's Saint X. We had met a while ago in L.A. through friends, I think at a Thanksgiving party. And when we were thinking of someone that we wanted to open up TV writing with on the show this season because we knew it was so important... Cynthia was the first person that producer Gemma thought of and we went straight to her. And luckily for us, she was in. Cynthia is a new talent with a very determined vision for what she wants to see in the industry as a whole. And she's a very clear, very inspiring voice on what obstacles she knows she'll have to face to get there. And hopefully by the end of this next hour, she is not going to be alone. In this episode, Cynthia breaks down how writers' rooms work, who holds the power in them, and how representation on screen is determined in that room, or sometimes prevented, depending on who's in it. We discuss why it matters who builds a character, as well as the intricate and often delicate topics of race labels and even skin tone, and the impact that all of that can have, and does have, on a global audience every single day that watches the content that gets created because of it. Cynthia also has ambitions far beyond being referred to as a, quote, good girl for her writing abilities, which you are going to hear about in this episode. And she does know that the example of success that she can be for others matters. This episode is confident, clear, comes head on with a script full of forward-facing courage and realness that's boldly leading the way for other diverse writers like Cynthia and unlike her, and we're really excited for you to hear it now. Enjoy this conversation. I'm going to see you on the other side. This is Season 1, Episode 3, Opening Up TV Writing with Cynthia Adakwa. How long have you been a writer for? That's a good question. Professionally, um, about five years. Um, personally, a lifetime. <laughs> 
so yeah, like my first job as a writer actually was for Issa Rae. She put together a small room of people um, from a mixer. She like posted about a mixer on Instagram and me and a couple friends showed up and it was a great, wonderful space, black writers, black up and coming young writers. Um, we got to interact with each other, meet each other. And then I ended up writing or pitching on like a short film with a small room of writers. And that was my first paid writing job. And honestly, I think that opened a lot of doors for me. What a great way to just dip your toe into what it would be like for a short amount of time without a huge commitment and potential risk of things going wrong. Exactly. So that was your start. That was in L.A. And -hmm. you've been in L.A. since. Is L.A. the place to be for writing? I mean, I feel like I know the answer, but. Absolutely, it is. You meet people here. A lot of the rooms are staffed here, if not existing here. Um, I've always been tempted by New York, but there are just fewer shows out there. And sometimes you get the staff job in LA that takes you to New York. Mm. But LA is definitely the place to be if you're a writer. Whenever I get auditions and breakdowns, and I've been been acting for about a decade now, especially coming out to the States, it's been really interesting to me seeing how characters are described, specifically in their identity, and Mm -hmm. how that has evolved and continues to shift every now and then. Um, when I first came out here, everyone was black, just bl- if they were, you know, if it wanted to be specified, it would be uh, Lee, black, Chris, black, 24, black. And I was always getting sent up for roles like that. Then it started to be uh, Greg, African-American. I'm choosing like the whitest names I can think of, apparently, for yeah. these things. But you know what I mean? It was just being done in that way. And then now there are different things happening where words are being thrown around like uh, Manasa and well, what was another one I got the other day? I don't know, just some stuff. I think basically all in the spirit of trying to be more specific, inclusive and respectful. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, as one person with my specific identity and heritage, I find it really, sometimes I don't find it that helpful. Um, And not about me, just in general, I feel like something specific is being put on paper, but then people are not being sought in as specific a way. Like, it's okay to say African-American, that's great. But then if you're just submitting this to all people who actually aren't, like, I'm not African-American, but I'm auditioning Mm -hmm. for things like that all the time, or I'm being submitted for things like that all the time. And understanding what the lines are between this is, it's fine for me to go up or play this role, or it's inappropriate for me to try and do that. What is your perspective on that? Uh, An input, if any, when characters are being written, if you would write a character for your own script, uh, do you tend to specify race? Do you find that it's always important? Do you prefer when it's not specified if it's not part of the subject matter? Do you have any thoughts about any of that? Absolutely. I, I do specify race because I think there is a natural inclination that if race is not specified, the character is white. And um, I I do write white characters, but I primarily write black characters. And I want you to know from jump. Um, I find that the, the back and forth between African-American or black is white people being uncomfortable with just calling black people, black people like, it's okay. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's a, not a bad word. Yeah. Black. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I specify race um, for all of my characters, white, black, Asian. Um, and unless it has to do with their cultural background, I won't specify nationality. Um, like I'm, I'm first generation American. So saying Ghanaian American is important for me as a distinction. Um, Usually when I have first generation characters, I will use that distinction. Like I have a character in one of my scripts who's Filipino American, and that's because they are first generation. And that has an integral part to do with their personality. Um, I, I respect 
colorblind casting. I respect all that because I think it changed the game for TV, but race has something to do with who we are. Like if I would be a completely different person if I were a white woman, you know? And I would speak differently. I would carry myself in the world differently. Um, my, my growing, I would have grown up differently. So I think it's important to include that. Mm. I find that really fascinating, especially as someone who grew up between different ideas of race and culture. I feel like I don't always see that much room for a duality or more of a complexity of who or what the person is. I understand a lot of TV, especially, thrives off of solid ideas of who and how people are because there's less explaining to do. It's a character's more easily digestible for an audience and then you can focus on content and story if you just give them an idea that they're already familiar or comfortable with. And, you know, something I found out here is that I'm often not the idea... Uh, that's being written down. I don't fit it in all the ways. Um, it's why most of my career, I've I have one roles for myself that are written white, or as you correctly said, just not specified in race, because that is the code for that. Because I get to go in as, you know, the ethnic option, which has been said to me so many times, and do I care for it? No. Surprise, surprise. But... I appreciate that I appreciate it's not the right word. I acknowledge that I am seen as an exotic version of what this character could be. However, whenever I've been in those rooms, in those positions, and I've said this before, I never see anyone of darker skin tone. So it's almost like I've I've acknowledged and I've seen that I exist in this separate limbo between what it is to be a black character in America specifically and to be an ethnic choice for a white character. And I'm somewhere in the in-between. I do obviously love that there is more intentional thought and uh, creation behind the characters that we see on screen and no surprise to me, but it's great to hear that that's something you're so passionate about in in what you do. Was that always your intention when you wanted to be a writer? Like before you started working professionally and everything, did you already have a sense of what you wanted to write and who you wanted to write and who you wanted to write for? I did. You know, I was a fan of TV and film, but I wasn't seeing myself on screen. Um I was hearing conversations that me and my friends had, but wasn't seeing my friends. So when I started writing, I was like, all right, I'm going to write from my experience. They say, write what you know. And I did. Um, But at the time I was a fan of, as I was like getting, growing in my voice and my writing voice, I was a fan of movies like Juno I was a fan of shows like Girls, um, all relatable except all white. And I was like, but where am I in there? And, you know, I remember after the first season of Girls, there was this big controversy of like, there are no Black people on Girls. I mean, same problem with Friends, a hugely popular show. Um, And they attempted to speak to that problem in season two. Um, with Donald Glover's character, who is a Black Republican. And I just found that so inauthentic, you know, like, let us speak for ourselves, you know, or put many of us in the room, you know, don't like character, like, it was a caricature of a Black person in New York and Brooklyn. I've never lived there, but I've also rarely met Black Republicans in liberal spaces. So I was like, y'all are wild. Just stick to your white girl show because that's what I've been enjoying. (laughs) So for me, it was like important to write those authentic voices. Take my friends. I grew up in the D.C., Maryland area. Take my friends that I grew up with from all different cultures and backgrounds and Mm. put them on the page and eventually hopefully see them on the screen someday, you know? So it's it's definitely been an integral part of my growth as a writer. Like I remember in college, I was writing a script and one of my professors literally sat me down and said, 
I don't really get what you're doing here. Um, guess what he was? He was a white middle-aged man. Um, he's like, I don't get what you're doing here, but it's interesting. And I was like, okay. And he was like, you know, I think he was trying to like push me in a direction that was more consumable for him. And I was like, no, boo, this isn't for you. Like, don't even worry about it. It's not for you to get. It's not for you to understand. So I kind of had a sense of that earlier on, you know? That's so interesting and a great point that so often, especially behind the scenes for people who might not be as aware, you do feel and are told often that it's not just who's making the content, but who the content is being made for always seems to prioritize a white audience Mm -hmm. unless you have to make a specific statement or if it's a a particularly diverse saturated show for example it can be a black show but why can't a black show just be a show with black people Mm -hmm. or just a different perspective that's not white why do we have to other something just because it's not necessarily aimed at satisfying the comfortabilities of one specific race of people when it's nothing to do with the quality of the content. It doesn't really make that much sense. And it happens way more often than it should. I mean, that should never happen ideally, but you know, do you think, would you have found it more difficult to get an entry into this profession, say without that Issa Rae um, workshop that you had where you all got together? I will say it's already difficult to get into this business, um, but it definitely would have been more difficult. I've found that I've gotten a lot of support from Black women um, as I've grown my career, and that has been invaluable. You know, like they have cleared the path for me to follow behind, you know? I have also gotten opportunities from white creators and white showrunners, but it's just been different. You know, Mm. it's almost been like getting thrown into the deep end of the pool and not completely understanding how things work. Um, Whereas with a black showrunner or creator, I'm not afraid to ask specific questions of like, wait, so what am I supposed to do next? Is this normal? Is this not normal? It's just it's just different. Mm. Does it feel like when you don't have that person there to go to in the same way, it's almost uh, potentially compromising the validity of your part of that team? If you don't feel as comfortable asking those questions, it means that you're not as worthy to be there. Is there a feeling like that? Yes. And I think especially early on, I was never sure if my seat at the table was a full seat at the table in some spaces, you know, like um, certain comments and certain ways people expressed like my presence there. You know, I'm thinking about my assistant jobs coming up. It was, I remember someone had read my script and honestly, the script was very good. I'm I'm a humble bitch, but like the script was popping. Okay. <laughs> yes. And they were like, you're a very good writer. Um, and the term, I think it was good girl or something with girl involved when I was a grown ass woman mm. was like, all right, so you microaggression, right? So it made me feel uncomfortable. Like, do I belong here? So I questioned that for a while. I, you know, confidence was shaky at the beginning, but like I said, my script was popping. I know who I am and I just had to grow in my own confidence. You know, I used to be very quiet. I used to just like sit back and like, I don't know if I belong. I don't know if I should say anything. Uh, I'm not like that anymore. (laughs) Is there any one thing in your job as a writer that sticks out as a clear issue to you? I mean, the thing that comes to mind is I think right now we're in a space where diversity, diverse is a buzzword and where being a black writer, especially being a black woman writer, um, is seen as a 
benefit, you know, in a, in an industry that's been so white for so long, um, people are seeking out black voices. Um, but there is kind of an inauthenticity behind it often. Um, I found recently and in the past that I'm being pulled into meetings to be on potential shows that have no black people on the cast, have no black characters, have no black people in positions of power. Um, and I am, you know, I'm, my career is not at the beginning, but it's, I'm like two steps away from the beginning now, you know? Right. Um, so it's almost like, oh, if I hire this lower level black writer, I'm safe. I'm good. But no, that's not good enough. Yes. Hire the lower level black writer because she needs to get started. She needs her foot in the industry, but you got to do better than that because she, once she gets in the room, is she going to feel safe? Is she going to feel comfortable? Is she going to see other people of color in the room and in positions of power? Um, or are you just trying to band-aid an issue, you know? So that's what I'm seeing and have been seeing for a long time. Um, and that's kind of why I make sure that my community is full of people of color, make sure that my support system is people that I can relate to and talk to about these issues, because it can really weigh on you being in all white spaces all the time. Any space where you feel like you're automatically in one way or another an outsider mm -hmm. or not you don't tick all the same boxes as everyone else has in common is a thing. It does have an impact. How does it work? I have friends on shows and I've also been in situations where often they're the only diverse or black, say, for example, representation on a show. And there is no one in the room who shares that identity or experience. And obviously for, for as, as actors, for one field we don't really have an eye into the writer's room there's definitely communication there sometimes but i think generally there's a respect to let the writers do the writing and the actors do the acting and you work together as a cohesive team um best case scenario but sometimes it can be it can seem a little disheartening to feel like your job as an actor or the character being shared to people having an influence on audiences is not being filled with an authentic life, mm -hmm. but more with someone's either idea of what something is from a removed position or them being used as the tool they would like to within the narrative to serve a different character who they do understand, typically the white central characters. It's why it is so great that there are people like you in these rooms and in these spaces, but am I wrong in saying that just because you're in the room doesn't mean that you are deciding what goes on the page or what ends up there all the time or the characters who are in the show or the identities that are played in the show, you still just have to roll with what you're dealt if it's not your show. Is that correct? That is correct. The literal job of a writer on staff is to mimic your showrunner's voice is to create your showrunner's show. So in a way, it's a very creative job, but it's a nine to five in that way. I'm answering to a boss, you know? Mm. Um, and then on top of that, there is a hierarchy system, I think that is becoming more archaic, but it's still there, you know? Like if, like if I'm the lowest level writer in the room, I definitely don't have the last say. Um, there are writers above me, producer level writers. And then of course there's my showrunner boss. But what's challenging is how do you pick your battles? Mm. You know, cause sometimes if, especially if you're the only black writer in the room, there are multiple things that are like, mm, I don't know about that. Like, oh, so a police officer is gonna show up. Are they gonna pull their gun or are they not gonna pull their gun? Um, especially if it's on a character of color, like, let me ring the alarm bells now. And either you're going to listen to me or you're not. 
And I have no control over whether people listen to me or not, but I do have control over saying something. So it's those type of battles that sometimes you're constantly fighting. And it's just a matter of like, I'm very much a proponent of protect your peace especially as a person of color. So if it's a situation where you are going to like be going through it, you know, mental health first. Um, But part of the job is to be there and have a voice. And again, you're just not in control of people listen, if people listen or not, but see something, say something. Have you ever found yourself in the position where you maybe are, the only person of your identity in the room uh, and feeling torn between wanting to show up in your authenticity, but also not wanting to bear the burden of the responsibility of, of, of one story or one character just because you are the only one there. Absolutely. I think that especially as creatives and as writers, um, this, this argument can be used, I think on both sides, uh, I can write anything and everything. Genre, character, um, storyline, I can do it all. Again, I am humble, but I'm just saying I'm good at my job. Um, (laughs) So sometimes being looked at as, oh, you're the Black writer that's going to write about the Black experiences irritates me because one, I shouldn't be the only one in the room. And two, I can write anything and everything, like I said. What's interesting is that I'm sure a white male writer would say the same thing and would say, oh, I can write about race in America, too. Um, but I promise you, we will be writing different things. They, the characters would be saying different things. The characters would be in a different experience, having different experiences. Um, But I mean, that is a little bit of the plight of the Black writer is, you know, we now have these opportunities to be in these rooms, um, but to bear the brunt and the responsibility of speaking on race in America can be exhausting, especially if you're a comedy writer and you just want to tell jokes. (laughs) Like, I'm not necessarily a comedy writer, but I love like comedic situations, you know? So sometimes I don't want to write the heaviest thing um, about the heaviest topic, like what we go through on that level. Um, So it's challenging, but I've definitely been in that position. And I do appreciate the acknowledgement of my race and background because back in the day, sometimes it was like, I don't see race. So you don't see me is what you're saying. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's kind of a tightrope walk. And it's really, again, your mental health, your your boundaries, wherever you feel comfortable, um, especially as a writer of color, especially as a Black writer, I say do you. If you don't want to write about race ever, don't. Whatever you want to do, you know, don't get forced to do stuff by white people. Oh, soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> yes the whole episode (laughs) no totally i thank you for for putting it so so simply and beautifully i i couldn't agree more getting to be getting to have your own reality acknowledged and the value that that has is important it doesn't have to be to the point of labeling you as something and restricting you to that label but to have the freedom and truth of just your own life experience Mm-hmm. being what it is, not what people's ideas of it are, nor only the room other people will allow for their version of digesting it. It is important. And it is going to require and continues to require people who don't share the same experiences as everyone in the room to open up the space for different people to come in and want them there and to acknowledge that that is good for the wealth of the project that they're working on together. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost in every case, I would imagine it's important in anything that you can do to have true diversity, not as a checkbox, not as a cover or a poster image to hold up to other 
people and companies and say we're doing a great job, but because it matters and why shouldn't we? What's your dream job, by the way? I'm just intrigued. I mean, in terms of writing, what would your dream scenario be? Dream scenario is I'm the boss. I'm putting the writers in the room um, for a show that I've created, a show that I'm running. Um, and I do believe that dream will come true in time. Um, but uh, like a shorter term goal mm -hmm. would be, I would honestly love to have a black boss and to be in a predominantly black room. Like I see some of my friends on these amazing shows with um, black cast, black bosses. And I'm like, Yo, what's that like? Tell me what's that like? What's it like to walk in the room and not have to pick your battles and not have to censor yourself at certain times? Um, I do want to experience that freedom. So if I don't get to do it on someone else's staff, I at least would want to do it on my own show with my own staff. Manifest. Also, part of it for me is when you see someone doing what you want to do, it becomes real, you know? So if I have a black female boss showrunner, then in my mind, I know, oh, I can do that too, mm. you know? So I've, obviously I see it. I see the big names, the Lena's, the Issa's. I admire these women and I just would like to see it in my everyday life someday so that, you know, then I know, oh, I can do it too. And I think that's why like these I feel like we're in a moment of black creativity that's so exciting and so big. Like the people coming behind us, they're going to be monsters because this is normal to them now, you know, and it, it should stay normal. What has your experience been in that space of how characters are developed from scratch in terms of their identities and who they are and what spaces they take up? Do you see more kinds of characters that identify one way being introduced or created way more than others who are the people creating them how much input do you have as a writer on any level in that room on deciding what someone's experience and makeup as a character should be um a lot of the shows i've been on have been second season shows so usually the main cast is already existing um, if it's a situation where they're bringing in new characters, it's always a conversation or it's typically a conversation. Um, and I will say, no matter what the makeup of the room is, uh, primarily what writers are doing in the room is having conversations, you know, and then we eventually land on certain personality traits or certain backgrounds or, you know, we look at our cast and say, oh, we're a heavily straight cast. Like, why don't we have queer characters and what kind of queer characters would we want to bring in? Um, it's always a conversation. Of course, it's typically not my show. I'm not in charge of the show, so I don't have last say, but you're pitching different types of characters all the time. Mm. Um, like my last show in this last season, it was a very exciting thing to pitch a black female character. And I think everyone on staff knew, all right, we need one. We need also to make her authentic and to give her a real background. And, you know, that was a priority. And sometimes that's not a priority. I think it depends on the boss and I think it depends on the staff. Um, but we all had a say in that. We all were part of the conversation. I did feel very attached to the character and the conversation. Um, and I will say I'm very grateful that I was given the space to have a lot of input on it. Um, and that was very exciting. And just to like see the audience respond to her was also very exciting, you know, like, mm. hey, I was a part of that. Um, <laughs> but again, it, TV writing, collaborative, a team effort, you know, so it's always a conversation. Um, it's really, it, it's really dependent on showrunners, you know? Um, so if you have, and our industry does have predominantly white showrunners, predominantly white male showrunners, how open are they? 
You know, how open are they to mentoring? How open are they to the realities of what it means to live in America? At the same time, like, I'm also not checking for them, you know? Like, again, this is a part of, I would love to have a black female boss because automatically black female bosses, their rooms are more diverse. Their casts are more diverse. Like, it's just a certain level of awareness that you don't find everywhere else. I'll say the same for just women bosses in general have more diversity. So what does that mean? We need more women bosses. It seems that simple, but for some reason, we're still doing this thing, still playing this game. Listen, you will never hear me complain about more women in positions of power. It's my favorite thing <laughs> in the world. Not just Hollywood. Everywhere. Everywhere. I agree. Um, but that's fascinating because showrunners keeps coming up as a theme. And honestly, showrunners were not, that was not a role that I was thinking of before we started talking, but it seems pretty integral to a lot of the important issues that we're talking about. Essentially, a lot of what happens in a writer's room where key decisions are made on what characters are in shows, how those characters are made, and what kind of show you make in terms of representation and authenticity is largely dictated by who the showrunner is. And then the goal is to enact that vision and bring it into reality, more or less. Exactly. And then to complicate it, how do you create a showrunner? You create a showrunner by promoting lower level writers, by pr promoting producer level writers, by having careers grow by having faith in people, you know? And sometimes, not sometimes, this is America, people have faith in white men, you know? Automatically, it doesn't even matter what's on the resume. But what about a quiet, confident black woman who can still do the job, but isn't the loudest person in the room? But it's also the nature of Hollywood to look at the loudest, shiniest thing, you know? Yes, that's a great point. That runs over so many issues. I feel that a lot. There's a lot of things where, you know, as as an actor and as a human who's who's gay and queer and identifies between those terms and has done authentically for, a, I mean, my entire adult profession, because I'm not loud about it or shiny about it or fitting whatever the more extreme idea of expression of my identity should be for Hollywood, I feel acknowledged way less to a way smaller degree than in certain other places where you really see the lens just tends to focus deliberately on itself because it in itself is not a negative thing. It's just what it cuts out isn't helpful necessarily. If you're trying to seek out true authenticity, if you're trying to encourage, uh, either an oppressed group or identity or any kind of minority more into the light so they can be seen, you can't just look at the things that are the easiest to spot off of a quick glance. You miss so much gold when you do that. Just look at a spark here and there. There's so much value in, like you said, the things that aren't necessarily the loudest or the boldest. So would you say that the point of entertainment is comfortability? Yes, because, well, I don't think it's the point, but I think that it's important because people want to make money. So if it's comfortable, if it's not shaking things up too much, if we can get at least half the theater full, we're good because we're making money. But that's, again, so difficult because what we do is so creative. I'm not thinking about, oh, I got to write this script because it'll get the most butts in seats. That I could care less about that. I got to write this script because it means something to me, you know, but what we do is a mixture of the creative and the business. Um, and sometimes the business overtakes, but I feel like things are shifting slowly um, and surely, you know, People's voices are being heard that weren't heard before. Um, you know, speaking to the shiniest, brightest thing in the room, maybe that's not generally our nature, but I do think it's important to 
find a way to be heard and kind of make your own noise in whatever way is comfortable for you. Like in my career, I found that in Twitter, like Twitter can be very dangerous because, you know, you could get into some messiness, but right. earlier on for me, I just treated Twitter like my diary, which I don't necessarily recommend people do now, but you know, just what I'm thinking here and there and like, also using it as a tool to connect to community, connect to other writers um, and do a little bit of self-promotion because if no one is going to talk about me, I have to talk about me. And I recommend that to all creatives. I truly believe I'm someone in the camp of, yes, money's important. I, I accept it's an industry. People have to get paid. Profits are what keep it happening. I understand all of that. But if that takes the lead all the time, we're constantly chasing our own tails and nothing new is ever happening. We're just seeing how quickly and how efficiently we can recycle the same package we know and the hope that the same thing keeps happening. And that's the least creative thing in the world. Yeah. Nothing's being created. It's just being recycled. I know you already mentioned it, but how do you sit with that? How, do you feel like as a writer in your space, you are comfortable with the balance of business versus creativity or do you think are you do you still have to work for an adjustment to feel comfortable in any room that you're in you know I feel like that is an ongoing thing for me that I'm still trying to figure out you know at the end of the day like you said we do want to make money I got to pay my bills I got to pay my rent so part of the job is to create someone else's vision do i love that no but do i love being in a room with other writers yes Two specific things I want to ask you. Say you're writing a specifically Ghanaian American character. Mm -hmm. You have connection to that, understanding of that. There's an authenticity for you and from you for that character. How do you feel about a non-Ghanaian American uh, actor playing a role that you've written from your own point of authenticity? Well, I think the job of an actor is to embody a role, right? Um, so it's complicated i think though especially as we do get more specific about characters backgrounds i wouldn't mind an actor that is not ghanian american playing a ghanian american character but for me there would be specific things that needed to be there like a dark skin tone i would prefer a wider nose i would prefer the aesthetics of what a Ghanaian person looks like, but then it's also embodying the character, right? So I'm sure it would come down to a debate of like, of auditions and such, but there is also a world where I think I've started to see this more, where when an actor is cast, the role either becomes theirs and you kind of mold it around their background to make it more authentic mm -hmm. um and i appreciate that too because i feel like there's an effort being made you know like if i wrote a ganyan american character and ended up casting a american black person um i wouldn't necessarily want to change that background of the character because i want to speak to that character um but I think it would be a conversation of like, hey, this is what is different about an, a Black American character versus a Ghanaian American character. And this is what I need you to embody. But I think it's an ongoing conversation and a complicated conversation. It would be different, though, if, you know, you're talking about your background, um, casting a mixed race person as a Ghanaian or an African person there would have to be a bigger conversation about, do we want to change the background of this character? Right. You know, I think, especially right now, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this debate of 
Black American actors versus Black English actors. And they're, they're them doing like Black American roles. Mm-hmm. I feel best actor wins at the end of the day. Honestly, I do. Um, and sometimes best actor, maybe it does involve the look of the actor as well. And the background of the actor. Yeah. And you're right. It is a conversation. Uh, and I appreciate you uh, adding to it. Thank you for sharing that. It's not easy for everyone and not everyone feels that comfortable talking about it. The, uh, the American Brit thing is really interesting. And I know that there are people in the industry who would say, and I have heard say that things are getting too specific and it's too complicated now. And I understand the discomfort there because there's so much more work involved with having to try and hold on to the integrity of authenticity at every stage of creating, say, a TV show. I think it's particularly a debate because over the last few years, so many black, specifically British actors have portrayed these iconic American black figures in history. Mm-hmm. David Yellowo, you have Chiwetel Ejiofor, you have Cynthia Erivo, you have all of these <laughs> actors playing these American icons. And I don't know why. I don't think it's necessarily on purpose. But I do think that those three examples are three incredible actors. Incredible. Incredible what they do. Should Brits ever be allowed to play American? Yeah, if we're good at it. Because we grew up watching it all the time. It's what we're exposed to all the time. When it's flipped around, should Americans be able to play Brits? Sure, absolutely, if you're going to do a good job. But I think because America tends to be so, you know, there's so much going on that it's so focused on itself and what's happening there, not a lot of attention is paid to the details of what it's like to be someone outside of this experience. And so you don't really acknowledge how much work and specificity needs to be taken into account to properly fulfill a role that's not just an American person. I think the true quality of what something is is in the writing. I read a script that blew me away. I was in tears and I loved it. And it was that one role I was talking about where someone was specifically mixed race and the content was about their value as a human and exploring the duplicity and duality of their uh, racial identity experience. And I loved it. And the main, the main factor about that script that was exciting for me was seeing myself. For the first time, I didn't have to shift who I was to be able to fit into something creatively. Mm-hmm. On a basic level, I always feel like I have to shift myself left, right, forward, backward to be able to click in where most other people already click. But it made me think of the conversation the other way around that happened so many times about mixed race actors getting to play non-mixed black characters. And for some people, that's not appropriate. Um, It's another complex conversation. Do you have any thoughts or experiences around, you know, that topic? I mean, what immediately comes to mind is the Zoe Saldana fiasco, where she was playing Nina Simone. And I think if it's a situation where it involves skin darkening or skin lightening, pick a different actor or change the background of the character. Obviously in that situation, it was a biopic, so you you can't change Nina Simone. Um, But we are creative people and have the ability to, you know, shift a background or shift words if we want to accommodate an actor, if we want to accommodate a background. Um, and I think there's there are responsible ways to do that. Audiences are smarter these days. You know, they're going to see through it. Like, you can't trick them. Like, I, I mean, speaking of the same situation, like, social media was on fire when Nina Simone, that whole thing, you know, like, um, I do think there is a responsibility. And I do think, again, there's really no excuse to figure out how to make it work, you know? Is there often a conversation when you're in the room about skin tone? Is that often something that is brought up or discussed? I wouldn't say often, 
Um, but I would say it has been brought up and sometimes I am the one to bring it up. Um, as a dark-skinned woman, I am pro more dark-skinned women being on screen. Um, again, the audition process is difficult, you know, like, and I, I respect actors for what they do. Um, and again, sometimes it is literally the best actor wins. Um, but I think also that debate can be used detrimentally to make the excuse of, oh, we don't have to keep looking or we don't have to challenge ourselves to find something different. Mm. Um, and I'm not about that. Let's challenge ourselves, you know, let's find, yes, the best actress that maybe has a skin tone that we don't typically see on screen. So I am guilty of being the instigator <laughs> in this case at times. Um, and as someone that has friends that are so, so talented with light, dark, medium, whatever skin tone, it's, it's nothing personal, but it is personal. Absolutely. And that I just want young women that look like me to see themselves on screen too. And so often we don't. Yep. I know there's so many debates and conversations. Uh, I have this chat with my friends all the time. I know I'm aware that because of the tone of my skin, I am more, I'm a more comfortable, palatable idea of something different for someone to say yes to who's not used to stepping outside of their box. Um, it's the same reason why I said when I'm, you know, in an audition room as the exotic ethnic choice for something, no one else who's there as an ethnic choice is dark skinned because often for a lot of people still today, that's just too far removed from what their original idea was for them to be able to put the same things together. Of course, we know while acknowledging the specificities of different realities, that is important. We're still human. We're still capable of fulfilling and understanding basic human stories of human integrity. And I think a lot of those gaps get filled in when we do get to see more people on screen who reflect that different experience, that different identity, that different window into the world. Mm -hmm. Entertainment is education if we allow it to be. There shouldn't be any threat with the idea of introducing something different. Whether it's money, whether we're afraid that enough people won't watch it or watch it all the way through or click on it or whatever we're talking about, those things only stay true and we keep it true. For me, my job as an actor is not to try and do every job that I possibly can. For me, you know, I get being busy is very an attractive thing and that's great, but integrity is more important for me. And I want to make sure that if I'm working, I'm working on something that I can bring some kind of value and integrity and authenticity to. If I already feel like I'm wearing shoes that fit somebody else better, I'd rather the other person wear the shoes. My job is not about me working all the time. It's about supporting the best kind of storytelling that we can do as a community. And Absolutely. from everything you said, it sounds like being a writer really exemplifies that. It's about community. It's about having a strong leader and then being able to collaborate and work together with a commonly understood goal that has integrity. Absolutely. I mean, a comparable situation to yours where you felt uncomfortable doing an audition. I was up for a show. Um, I won't name the show, but I watched the pilot. It's recently been released, um, their first season. Um, and I did not see myself in the story at all. Female lead, white female lead. It literally felt no people of color in the cast um literally felt like the show should literally be called white women problems um and instead of doing the smart thing that you did where you said I'm not going to audition I took the meeting and I think you could just sense it on both sides the white showrunners could sense that I did not respect the show um <laughs> I could sense that they were lovely people but sure. not necessarily the people that I wanted to be working with and you know didn't get the job not a big surprise hope their show continues on to success and finds their audience but even in the meeting 
I felt uncomfortable talking about race. And I talked to a colleague of mine afterwards about it. And he made a point, a great point and said, you were sensing something, you know, you sense that it wasn't a safe space. So it's not on you because I am always very much a see something, say something person. Right. But I'm also, I think safety is also paramount, you know, again, mental health is also paramount. And so him telling me that you sense that this wasn't the safe space for you was so helpful for me. Cause I was like, did I do something wrong? Was I not being true to myself? Honestly, I should have said no to the meeting from the jump, but you know, all of it's a learning process. It is. And I want to say, cause you, you bring up a great point too. I have to acknowledge that I have been in positions where I'm able to say no to things and and it doesn't feel like a big loss. A lot of the time it makes me uncomfortable because I feel like I need to be grateful for all opportunities over everything else. But I do think that that is a trap that can be difficult for people, especially in our positions, where getting to say no to something because it doesn't feel right, in a sense, is made to be a luxury that you have to work to get to and you have to be afforded opportunities from other people to be able to get to that point. Yeah. Um, I, I've definitely not always been at a point in my career where I could say no to anything, uh, no matter how uncomfortable I felt, because I need something, especially starting out. Right. So it's, uh, you know, I, I understand not wanting to, but I would never say that you shouldn't, you should say no to it. Um, I actually really appreciate listening to you, how you're just work ethic and uh, how open you are to how you want to work and how to reach the, the best product. I actually think it's really great. I wish that more people were like that. I will say it's been a process. I okay, haven't automatically good. from jump been like this. <laughs> right. I do think the pandemic was terrible, but it was eye-opening in that way. It was eye-opening and like, what do you want your future to look like? You know, I had the time to like sit down and say, this is what I want it to look like. This is what I dream for it to look like. Um, and this is kind of my line, like my boundary. So, you know, I have, I'm grateful for that. You make a great point, I think, when you say that audiences are smarter now. Yeah. They are. And I also think that, oppressed and diverse and minority communities are finding the power of their voice more collectively. Mm -hmm. And so people are realizing more and more their voice does matter and has a huge impact. It's literally the reason I'm doing this, having this conversation with you right now. I don't expect the world to change, but I know that us having a conversation about something that we experience is real and see the truth of can have an impact on even one person who might listen to it who could one day be a showrunner on a show and get to make the right decisions or at least have that intention or the understanding and awareness of what the right decisions could be. If you gave advice to younger you who's getting ready to start out on her career as a writer from anything that you've experienced or learned, what would you say? And what would the same thing, what would, what would be said to other people who want to do what you do and might feel and identify very similarly to how you do yourself? As far as what conversation we should be having right now, I think if you're a person of color, it's whatever fucking conversation you want to be having. Um, if you are a white person, you should be questioning where you stand in this debate. You should be, I mean, honestly, I hate the term anti-racist because I just like, it's, I don't completely understand it, but um, you should be doing that work. Um, you should be figuring out how you can support people of color. And when I say support, that means don't be bothering us with your anti-racist work. Do your work on your own time. Um, and then as far as what I would tell my younger self, I would tell her and other young people to be confident. Um, I think, you know, we come across a lot of rejection. There's constant rejection, um, trying to make it or not trying to make it, just trying to exist. There's a lot of people saying no. There's a lot of people questioning, what are you about? How do I put you in a box? Um, that's their business. That's not your business. 
Um, so be confident in who you are. Um, I think for a long time, I spent a lot of time questioning myself because people questioned me and questioning my own worth because people questioned me. And I wish I could get that time back, you know, like, and that's what I'm working towards now. Like just trying to be confident in myself and like trying to move in the world, how, in a way that I would respect, you know? So that's what I would say. Be confident, let other people figure out whatever they want to figure out. Do you. And you have reached the end of another open up conversation. That was Cynthia Adarqua on TV writing. I think everything that Cynthia shared is so important for almost any other issue that we could cover here on the show about TV and film. Because again, everything starts in the writer's room, in the script, the characters that we see, the way that they're filled and portrayed, even the language that they speak, even the intonation of speech. It all comes down to what understanding they are filled with at a writing level. So yes, it's so important that people like Cynthia not only are in the room to be a part of the team, but also get the space to feel comfortable enough and welcomed enough to introduce real life for more than just one kind of character or more than just one kind of understanding of what a character like that could be. Writing is a team effort, so it requires a great diversity of players on that team to achieve the best product, at least in our opinion. Being unafraid or more comfortable to ask questions that will make a difference and uphold the quality of the content you're all trying to make is important. Being specific, being intentional about who we want to see in a TV show or in a film, making those decisions and making them from an authentic and informed position will ultimately lead to the best product coming out, the most respectful character representation, the best character representation, I would argue. Writers shouldn't be asking themselves in the room, do I belong here? Of course, if you're in the world, you belong in a writer's room. I hope that's not an oversimplification, but when we're writing about the world, especially the real world, any world, whether it's the real world or not, anyone who exists is valid and valuable and deserves a place to have a voice in that room and a seat at that table and a pen in their hand and a say in what ends up being shared with one, ten, a hundred, thousands, millions of people. You matter in that space. Thank you for listening. If you want to follow Cynthia, she is C-Y-N-T-Triple-E-A-Double-H on the gram. That's C-Y-N-T-E-E-E-A-H-H. It's almost like she doesn't want to be found, but it's too late. You have the password to the secret club, so go and join, show us some love, and thank you again, Cynthia. And of course, thank you as always to our wonderful family of diverse artists who bring the open up to life along with me to make it possible for you to listen to. Our art is from the fantastic Alec Liu. Our theme music is from the brilliant Adsum. And additional music, including this outro you can hear right now, is from the wonderful Jay Abol. I am Elliot Knight, your host, mixer, and editor. And of course, thank you to the astounding producer Gemma at Studio Hendrix for making all of this possible. This really is about all of the conversations that we can help spark and be a part of, and we thank you so much for doing that with us. Please keep up the energy. These things matter. And don't forget that you can help us spread the word by opening up about what you heard. And if you want to keep the show alive, hit those stars at number five. And don't forget to leave a review because we would love to hear from you. Also, if anyone else has started learning that, I don't know why you would, uh, but if you have, I'd love to hear you do it because it's hard for me every time. You can find us also on the gram at the Open Up Pod. We will post an announcement of each guest a couple days before the episode so you know who's coming up. We'll give you a trailer, a little sneak peek, and one of our favorite quotes from the episode too. It's also a great place to be in touch with us. Let us know what you thought about the episodes, the conversations we're having, any feedback, also any people that you would like us to talk to in the future or you think that we should look at we would love to hear from you. You can also email us at hello at theopenuppodcast.com. I am It's Elliot Knight on the gram. I do not TikTok as of yet, but who knows? Anything's possible. 
We hope you're well. Stay well if you are. Get well if you're not. And we will see you next time for another Open Up. It's really important to also invest in having a full life, like a life outside of work, a life outside of writing, a life outside of acting. And, you know, like we work way too hard sometimes. It's okay to chill out, have a drink, rest, take a nap. Okay. Uh, when's your podcast coming out? Yes. <laughs> I love it. I want to shout out my wonderful parents who are from Ghana and like, I mean, I am who I am because of them, you know? Appreciate you, Edward and Georgina.